Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's Saturday morning for you, maybe, afternoon, evening, we don't know. But hey, you're back and you're joining with us. Happy Saturday. Good job. Happy Saturday. Yes. Glad to be here. Yes. In fact, hey, tomorrow is is our baptism. Yeah, our baptism service. I was going to say are our baptisms. They are in tomorrow. Yeah. That's going to be fun. It will. Four o'clock p.m. at another church in a temperature-controlled environment. Yep. In a basically a jacuzzi is what I understand it to be. Yeah, jets are going to be on. There's going to yeah. be the yeah. bubbles are going to be all over. Little glasses of water with umbrellas in them. And it's going to be fantastic. Yep, it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, it's super. No, but uh, we do have it going tomorrow. So church, make plans to be there and be a part of that uh, celebration with us. It's going to be awesome. I-, I was listening to somebody give their testimony this morning as I was, or well, this morning as we record, so Thursday. Um, as I was meeting with them and just super encouraged and, uh, I just, it's, it's exciting. And, and so here's one benefit of baptisms. You may be wondering, okay, why, why should I be there as a member of the church? Well, a few things. Number one, you just get to be encouraged. You get to be encouraged by being uh, exposed to the, the stories of other people and what God has done in their lives to save them. Like, that's awesome. That's super encouraging. That should cause you to be fired up. That should be that, that burst, that pep talk that you need, that halftime, you know, motivation talk that you need to, to go out and, and keep going. But the second thing is too, and I was telling this person this morning as I was meeting with her, I said, you know, there's an impact that, that these testimonies can have on the lives of the people in the church that I, I think is even greater at times than, than the impact that my preaching can have on their lives. Um, when, when you hear somebody who is one of your peers, so to speak, uh, stand up and say, look, this is the impact that God's word has made in my life. This is the impact that God has made in my life. This is how my life has changed. Uh, you can't look at this person in the baptism tank and say, well, yeah, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that, uh, that is, is, you're disarmed from that. And you have to come face to face with the reality that, man, this is a person who has a job like I do, or is a mom like I am, or is, you know, a student like, like I am and, and realize, okay, God's at work in their life. And if they're doing it, I need to be doing it. It's, it's just, it's powerful. These baptism testimonies are powerful. So church be there. Cause this is going to be an awesome, awesome Sunday of celebration for us. Yeah, and sometimes I don't know. There are times when I'm not as excited to be there for whatever reason. You know, I had a bad morning or had you know, some something go wrong the day before. Going as an act of worship and and enjoying them as an act of obedience always always ends up positive for me. There's a yeah. net there's a net positive at the end of the day. So even if you're not particularly excited that afternoon, you're wondering you're you know you're tired. You had a long week and weekend. You're wondering whether or not you should drive over to the church. We would encourage you to parent your soul and say, I'm going to go do the right thing. And I'm going to trust that God's going to provide the energy. He's going to provide the joy. And I'm going to be, I'm going to walk away feeling like that was a good use of time because it is, it actually objectively is a good use of time and you will not regret it. Yeah. And Hey, you know what? Our service is at 4 PM. They probably will go about an hour or so. And so hour or two or six. Seven. Uh, no, but afterwards, there should be time, and maybe this is a great opportunity for you to connect with another family in your community group and go grab dinner together and uh, and extend the fellowship and enjoy that that uh, added time together. It might be a great uh, great chance to do something like that. So sounds good. Hey, Genesis chapter 25, 26 uh, today. Not 27, just two chapters today. They're, li- they're long chapters. They are long chapters. Yeah, 24 was long too. 24 had 60 verses, 60 some odd verses in it. 
but yeah, chapter 25. So we get introduced to Keturah, another wife here in uh, 25.1. And you may be tempted to think, okay, well, Sarah's dead, so Abraham took another wife. Uh, but it appears, in at least in my study of this, that this was a, a concubine that, that Abraham took at some point in addition to Sarah, that this is not necessarily chronological, that this is not necessarily supposed to be understood as Sarah's dead, so now Abraham remarried, that, that this is somebody that Abraham married in addition to Sarah. And again, we may get uncomfortable with these things, rightly so, uh, because is God's plan still monogamous for Old Testament believers? Yes. And you'll notice that nowhere in the Old Testament is, is this plurality of marriages, this polygamy, nowhere is it uh, is it commended? Nowhere is it condoned? Nowhere does, does God say, "Yeah, this is a good thing." And so, when we see it, it's a it's a it's a recording of the, the reality of what was taking place, but it's never con- commended or condoned as something that was good. So, Abraham takes another wife. First uh, Chronicles one thirty two tells us that she, this woman Keturah, was Abraham's concubine. So that's one of the reasons why we would say that this is maybe not chronological, but uh, that this is somebody that she took in addition to. Um, and so then it goes through and lists off all of these other sons. In fact, in in yesterday's episode, Pastor Rod, you were talking about the fact that, that Isaac wasn't his only son, that there was Ishmael, but potentially these others. And Perhaps I assume others. these are the ones you were talking about. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so... Y- y- the, the contrast is set up though in verse five, because it says Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. So why is this recorded? Well, I think it's recorded to show the, the uniqueness and significance of, of Isaac, just like Pastor Rod was talking about yesterday, uh, that Isaac was his only son whom he loved. It's the uniqueness there. We see that stressed again here in chapter 25, where Isaac, all these other sons are listed, but then Isaac is the one to whom he gives all that he has. He gives the, the, the goods. Isaac is the son of the promise here, in other words. Um, as the text goes on in, in chapter 25, Abraham dies. And uh, what a commendable description of Abraham here where he dies 175 years old. He breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. And then interestingly, you've got Ishmael coming back. Ishmael and Isaac come back and bury him in the cave at Machpelah, uh, the, the same cave where his wife Sarah had been buried. And so I think here you get a testimony to Abraham's relationship with Ishmael, that Ishmael is willing to come back to his dad uh, to 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 bury his father alongside his son Isaac as well. Right. One of the things that's interesting here, uh, in addition to Ishmael coming back, is that really this is, I mean, this is the end of Abraham's life. He, he did not live long enough to see the fulfillment of the promises. Right. The only thing he actually owns is a burial cave. Right. That's it. That's right. all he's got to his name. Everything else is yet future. And this is where Hebrews chapter 11 comes along and says, like, he was looking forward to the future, the, the ultimate future, the long, the longer road, not the one that was immediately in front of him. Even though, I mean, he lived for almost 200 years. Still, he did not live long enough to see the fulfillment of the promises. And perhaps for some of you listening, you might have promises that you're clinging to that you may not live long enough to see the end of. Our time frame is short and limited, and therefore it behooves us. It, it encourages us to possess uh, an eternal, an eternal mindset, to not be so short-sighted, and to be so fixed on what's happening in the here and now, but looking at the ultimate there and then. Yeah, let's be like Abraham and trust him. Yep. Well, as chapter 25 continues, we've got the death of Ishmael in verse 17, but then as we jump down to verse 21, it starts what I've called Jacob and Esau part one. 
Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, was barren, much like her mother-in-law had been. And uh, Isaac begins to pray for his wife in verse 21. That, that's such a, a, a cool thing that, that jumped out to me this time around in, in reading the text is just Isaac's faithfulness to pray for his wife. And I wonder, men, if, if you're praying for your wives, if you're praying for the needs that she has. Some of you listening to this, your wife is in a similar situation to Rebecca here, and, and you guys are waiting on this. And I, I wonder, are you praying? Are you trusting the Lord for this? And I want you to be also encouraged because look down at verse 26. So chapter uh, 25 verse 21 says Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca his wife conceived okay but look right above that Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca the daughter of Bethuel so you might think okay so he's praying he's 40 she conceives okay look down though at verse 26 afterward his brother came out and his hand holding Esau's heel his name was called Jacob Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them so do the math man how long was Abraham or was Isaac rather praying for his wife Rebecca He's praying for 20 years. He's praying for 20 years that God will grant this request, that God will uh, smile upon his wife and provide these children, not just because he loves his wife, but also because of this trust in the promise of God as well. But this is 20 years that, that elapses here between uh, the, the, the beginning of the praying and when uh, Rebecca actually conceives and bears these children. That's a helpful reminder. We sometimes can read and, and just overlook these time markers and forget how long it is. I mean, 20 years is a long time. Yeah. That's how long it is between Joseph, which we're going to read about soon. He was age 17 when he was enslaved, and then he was 37 when he finally came to power. Yeah. And then he meets his brothers uh, about that same time frame. So crazy. These time frames are, are huge. Mm. Even in our lifespan, when we're dealing with maybe 80 years, 20 years is, is massive. For these guys who live living 175 years, it's still a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she conceives and she's uh, going to give birth to these twins and the twins are, are at, <laughs> there, there's conflict even in utero here between these twins. And, and she is asking and she pleads and she, she wants to know God, what, what's going on in verse 23, the Lord foreshadows the conflict that would come uh, by saying that there's two nations in your womb and two peoples. And, and this would become the Edomites and the Israelites. Uh, the descendants of Esau would be the Edomites. The descendants of Jacob obviously would be the, the Israelites. And it says here that the one who is stronger than uh, one will be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Again, this is foreshadowing what's going to happen later on in the story. But uh, if you get a, a moment, uh, turn over to Romans chapter nine and read verses six through 13, where Paul really grabs hold of this particular event in this story and unpacks God's sovereignty in light of what's going on, even at this point in the womb, because God, uh, Paul writes there that, that even before they're born, God had decided that Jacob was going to be the one that Jacob was going to be the, the son of promise that was going to continue from Abraham through Isaac, th now through Jacob, not through Esau. And so we see that working out here in this text. Esau comes out uh, all red, so they, they call him Esau and Harry, and then afterwards, Jacob comes out clutching his heel. Now, the word Jacob, uh, the name Jacob can mean deceiver, but it can also mean one who clutches a heel, like one who trips somebody up. So uh, it's, it's interesting. I've always wondered, wh why would they call him something so negative? In one commentary I saw said that Jacob could be a shortened name of another uh, name that is more positive, that means may God protect. That mm. In other words, that, that it may have been... No, this is, they were going after, may God protect rather than he's a deceiver. Yeah, that's an interesting take on that. I haven't heard that, but I did, I did notice that as well. It's a very, I mean, that's, it's kind of like a Jabez, you know, the, the son of my pain. <laughs> right. Um, ben Oni, he, he's also called son of my pain as well. And until dad changes his name to Benjamin. Right. right. So I, here's a question I have about this text that I still have not yet resolved. And maybe you can help shed some light on this. Verse 26, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Okay, I'm not I'm not super familiar with obstetrics. Right. 
what? How, how does that work? Is 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 he coming out and just like? Is he grabbing his heel after the fact? Is he holding his heel? It just seems to defy the way that I would normally expect a baby to come out. So I've always wondered how this took place, how they know, or at least how they uh, how, how it actually happened that he was holding his heel. I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, our, our twins were born a minute apart from each other. And so, um, yeah. The, Which is fairly typical, right? There, yeah. There's, you know, there's two labors. And so that's, right. That's kind of what I have in mind here. Okay. There's, there's two events. How, right. how does that work? I don't know. It's, it's possible. It was one it, that, uh, that one Jacob push. was like, Oh, we're going. Okay. Here and go. just held on for dear life. Boom. That, I mean, Hey, I'm sure that worked out better for, for her. <laughs> it probably she did. Wanted that. It probably did. It probably did. Yeah. Verse 27. There's some descriptions of these two boys. One Esau was a skillful hunter that will come into play later on. It man, says man. Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Uh, the word quiet there is uh, a word that means civilized. Um, mm. yeah, some have even said like a fine man, like a gentleman, like a, a man of the city, so to speak. A pipe smoking, yeah. book, book reading kind of man. Yeah. Like he's got patches on his jacket. That he's kind of an a indoorsman. Dude. Right. As opposed to an outdoorsman. Right. Exactly. So uh, some have suggested that that maybe there's an implication of if, you know, that he's a feminine man or something like that. That's not the implication here. The, the, there's just the the difference between Esau's an outdoorsman. Outdoor yeah. Jacob's more of a man of, of refined taste, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. I, I like I like Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. Well, chapter 25, then verse 28, we'll see something that again foreshadows the conflict to come. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Uh, That's not a good thing. Favoritism, bro. Talk about it, man. Come on. Yeah. As parents, you know, you may joke about, hey, this kid's my favorite or this kid's my favorite, but uh, that's extremely dangerous because kids listen to those things and they internalize those things. They they hear your words and even words delivered with sarcasm uh, are they can have lasting impacts on people. And, uh, and you need to understand that, that your kids, all of them are entrusted to you as a stewardship, not one that you think is like, oh, well, this one has, the, we, we joke about which one's going to go to college. We're like, well, we're right. going to send one of y'all to college. So we'll have to figure out which one it is down yeah. the road. But, um, but man, we need to, to work hard to make sure that we are pursuing each of our kids and getting to know them and loving them as a stewardship from God and not saying, well, I'm going to invest in this one while the other one invests in the other ones. This becomes a problem for the family tree, not only in this generation, but the next one as well. Yep. It's favoritism that also creates problems between Joseph and his brothers. Yeah. It's that very issue repeated again, and it's because there's a favored wife, which even testifies to the problems of polygamy, why that should never have been the case in the first place, because you create these dynamics between people that cause them to compete for first place. Talk to this, Pastor PJ. Is there anything wrong? Is there? Would you say there's anything inherently broken if a parent says, well, I generally connect more with this kid versus that kid of my, you know, of my two or three children. Mm. Um, should I repent of that if I feel that? And if that is a problem, how do I address that? I don't, I don't know that it's helpful to, like, if, if that's the case, I don't know that it's helpful to ever bring that up in any particular context. To um, ever say it, at least. If right. you do feel that, don't say it. Right. Especially not in front of your kid, right? Yeah. Um, and then that being the case, I think what that should do is cause you to think, man, I need to work even harder then to make sure that I'm pursuing the kid that I feel like maybe I don't connect with as well. Right. Um, cause that's exactly where Isaac's right here. Right. I, don't, I don't connect with Jacob as well. Right. It doesn't resonate with my heart. Right. Right. My kids are all young enough. And I think yours are as well that I, I don't know that I could say, yeah, I connect with one over the other one and, and 
you know, and like I just said, I'm not going to air that out over the podcast, but in, in yeah. the integrity of my heart, like I'm not, I'm not in that life stage at this point, but right. maybe you are a parent. I, I, I think the challenge is, man, I, then I need to double down and work even harder to pursue the one that maybe I, I'm not as, as connected to. Yeah. And, uh, we've talked with people like that. I've known people that have been, uh, that have said, man, my, my, this one kid shows an interest in something that I'm just not interested in at all. So I'm going to work hard to, to pick up that as an interest to so that I've got interested. something to, yeah, to talk to them about. Yeah. Um, it's contextualization in, in one sense, right? We've, mm-hmm. we've talked about that a lot as we talked about this church plant. Right. When you look at your kids as man, they need the gospel and they do all of them do, uh, contextualization. Part of it might be, you're going to get to know about Minecraft because your kids into Minecraft and you want to f- be able to have a conversation with them that can eventually lead them to, to develop that trust in you to come to you and, and talk about Christ, talk about the gospel, talk about their need for salvation. Whatever that looks like. I mean, yeah, let's, let's think creatively and work hard at the ones that, that, don't come as naturally. Yeah, that sound counsel right there. I think it's the idea behind it. I think what you're getting at is if we love people, we're going to do what we need to do to care for them. Yeah. We do what we need to do to, 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 to find that connection. And to it, to your point, to force, if, if that's the word to use, to foster might be a better word, mm. to foster interest in things that you're not inherently interested in. Yeah. I think that's the nature of what love does. Yep. Yeah. Well, as chapter 25 uh, comes to an end, we get one of the first mistakes that Esau makes and and one of the first kind of conniving points with Jacob. I don't know that there's deception here so much as Jacob is just showing his cunning and and his wiliness because Esau comes in uh, famished and and hungry and he sees his brother eating and he's like, give me some of that. And and Jacob says, great, I'll I'll give it to you, but give me your birthright. You might think, well, what is a birthright? Uh, The birthright oftentimes... Christ is referred to as the firstborn. He's the firstborn of all creation. And what that is referring to is not chronologically because Christ was not born. He was not created, but he holds the first rank, the rank of the firstborn, the the status of the firstborn. The firstborn was the, the rank of honor and nobility and prestige in a family. They were due a double portion of the inheritance. And so Jacob here, uh, looks at his older brother Esau, who apparently was only a few seconds older than him and says, you know, give me your birthright. You want this too? Fine. I'll give it to you, but give me your birthright. And it says in the text, I think rightly, that Esau despised his birthright because he's willing to trade it for just a bowl of stew. And uh, he agrees. And that uh, that's what is exchanging here. So this is not about the blessing that is going to come later on. This is about that, that inheritance. This is about the status, the rank in the family. What an interesting, yeah, interesting situation here. You, you rightly pointed out that uh, Jacob is kind of conniving here. He, he's, he's, he's doing something. Yeah. But the text doesn't, doesn't hold that against him. It does hold Esau accountable for it. It yeah. doesn't say, hey, Jacob was being a jerk and doing this. It was actually Esau who willingly subjected himself to that conniving plan. So even in that, it's interesting di- uh, dichotomy. Esau's, Esau is rejected. Esau is condemned. Jacob isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, why? Because, and that's that's part of Paul's point, because of the the unmerited favor of God, the, the, the election, the, the purposes of election are sh- are seen in Jacob and Esau, because Jacob before they've done anything. Esau, I've hated. Yeah. Strong this is God's words. decision. Oof. Yeah. Well, chapter 26, in the beginning here, verses one through five, I just noted the covenant is reaffirmed here uh, with Isaac and uh, there's a famine. And verse two, I think is significant because God shows up to Isaac and says, do not go down to Egypt. Uh, I think we mentioned before, Egypt is going to be a thorn in the side of the the Israelites from here on out. Yeah. Forever. And so we see it early on. 
even before Israel is a people, God is telling the forerunners, the forefathers, the patriarchs, do not go down to Egypt. Don't trust in Egypt. Trust in me and I will provide for you. And he's saying, stay in this land because this is the land of, of the promise. And I've started noting, and, and hopefully you can maybe go back and do this or start doing this now. Every time he mentions offspring and land, those are the two key components of the Abrahamic covenant of the Abrahamic promise is the, the offspring and the land, the promised land. Those are the two parts of that are the unconditional promises of God that he will give those things to Israel, to the descendants of Abraham. So that's what's going on in verses one through five is that is being reaffirmed through Isaac so that we are clear that this is going to come through Isaac. Verses six through 11, then I titled, here we go again, again, um, because Abraham did this twice. Uh, and now Abimelech does this and uh, tells his, uh, the, the enemy there that, uh, his wife or enemy, uh, the, the foreigners that his wife is actually his sister because he's worried for his own skin. And, uh, but this is not true even partially like this, it was right, for Abraham. Right. This, this is a straight up lie. This is a lie. This is a lie. No doubt about it. And, uh, God protects Rebecca and really protects his people, uh, through this situation. And, uh, and similar to what happened with Abraham on the backside of this, once it's all found out, Isaac walks away wealthier than he was when he went into this. Um, and again, this is a sign of God's Sheesh. blessing and favor and, and unmerited favor. This is, there's grace evidenced so many times here in these opening chapters of Genesis because is, these guys don't deserve the blessings they get. Is this the same Abimelech and Gerar as we read of in Genesis 20? Because they're the same names, Gerar and Abimelech. Yeah, it, it seems to be. I, I didn't find controvertible commentaries saying that, that it's this not. for sure. I, well, I, the only thing I read that suggested that it, it was probably offspring, it was, I mean, because this was a while ago now. So it is, yeah. probably his son, and Abimelech could be a title and, and not necessarily a name. Um, Gerar obviously is the same location, but whether or not it's the same person, that, that's probably not going to be the case. At least that's what I read, and I, I think that would make sense to me, chronologically. Yeah, yeah Abimelech, again, does mean son of the king. Um, so it's, it's, it, it probably could is be a, a name, a common title. It could be a title. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, coming out of this verse 24, we get another reaffirmation of the covenant promises and blessings to Isaac. Again, the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. I'm with you. I will multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So not because you deserve it, Isaac, but because of my promise that I made to Abraham, because I'm faithful, I'm going to confirm the promise that I've made to you. Can you pause for a second and talk about God's fairness? I, 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 people sometimes will, will expect God to do things in their lives that he's doing in other people's lives. Um, can you help us create a godly expectation for what we should think is our due in the economy of God's providence? Does that question make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, what should we expect from God? I don't want to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> don't expect um, anything. You worm. Right. Nothing. But we, <laughs> we are not entitled. Let me put it that way. We are not entitled to the life that we hope that we will have. Even as Christians though. Even as Christians. For those who are favored of God. Right. Redeemed. Right. All the above. Right. Because, because, and we just, we just came out of Job, right? And we are, are not entitled to that not happening to us. We are, we've already been given the ultimate and that is the then and there, not the here and now. Um, in fact, tomorrow during church on Sunday, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is, is 
getting in the game of life, so to speak, getting off the sideline, getting in the game that God has for us, the, the life now, getting busy living. Mm. And one of the sidelines that we're going to talk about is this fear of the world, this fear of getting into the life that God wants us to get in. And one of the reasons that we're going to talk about that is because of, because of that, because of suffering, we feel like, man, I've suffered so much. I I just, I I feel like I'm afraid to, I I just, I, and we, we paralyze ourselves by continually trying to find out God, why, why me, why this, why this? And in the meantime, we're wasting our life away because we feel like we can't contribute because we feel like, man, my suffering has sidelined me and taken me out of of what God has for me, and I can't be useful now to Him. And so, I, I all, to bring that back around to this, I, I think of somebody like Johnny Erickson Tata, who I just read recently, said, "When I receive my glorified legs, the first thing I'm going to do is fall on my glorified knees and praise God for what for His goodness in my life." Mm-hmm. You think about that, right? Here's somebody who was paralyzed in a horrible accident, diving into a pool that didn't have enough water, and and you look at her and you go, "Man, she could have spent." the rest of her life saying, God, why me? This isn't fair. This isn't the life that I wanted. This isn't the life that my husband wanted. This isn't the life that I envisioned myself having. Why me? And yet what she's done is she said, you know, I'm not entitled to the life that I wish I had. I'm going to use the life that God has given me to, to serve him between here and now and, and trust that the then and there is going to be glorified and it is going to be great and it is going to be amazing. And I'm going to receive all the things and more that I wish I had here. And it's going to be so much better because I'm going to be in the presence of God there. So in the meantime here, yeah, we're not entitled to anything. Does the fact that God is evidently not fair with people, he doesn't distribute gifts evenly, does that in any way sully his justice? I, I mean, doctrinally, theologically, no, right? Because he is a God who is just. Um, his wisdom is is beyond ours. I mean, I think that's some of what is intended by, with the, the understanding of his ways are not our ways and, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. We are a finite creation trying to put God in the docket of, of what we perceive as justice and what we perceive as fair when he is the one that invented the concepts of fairness and justice to begin with and thinks on levels and planes like you've said before, God is doing millions of things while we understand that he's doing and seeing that he's doing a handful of things. And so for us to say, well, this isn't fair right now in this moment in time, misses what he might be doing through this tragedy that is is going to be good in the long term uh, when the ripple effects are finally played out in in all the different areas that he's he's working. Helpful. Talk to to the person who feels like Esau, the one who feels like, man, God just always gives me the short end of the stick. It never works out for me. Everything that everyone else gets so easily, they they don't even try and things happen. And I try and and God seems to just push on me and and block me here and there. I feel like Esau and not Isaac. What do I do? Right. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, it's, it's, It's undeniable that God has you here still for a purpose. Again, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. Two of the main reasons that God has you here, Christian, number one is evangelism. He's got a mission for you to carry out. He's got a purpose for you in reaching the lost. So as long as you have a voice or a hand that you can write, whatever it is, you've got a platform, you've got a way to communicate the gospel. That's one of the things for you to keep going and keep doing. Second reason why he's got you here is for fellowship, fellowship with your church body, fellowship where you can be involved in encouraging other believers. You can be admonishing the idol. You can be patient with others. You can be uh, an accountability partner. You can be somebody that is is present. You don't need to have all of the gifts and all of the things in line. You don't need to have the, the the perfect life or the perfect family to be useful for what God has for you here. So keep going and maybe, maybe rethink about what usefulness really looks like, what purpose really looks like for you, what 
what fulfillment really looks like for you and start to think maybe fulfillment looks different than I thought it would look. Uh, but maybe fulfillment is, is what God has for me in the, in these other areas. And they're just as useful, right? I, I think of the, the body analogy that Paul gives for the church, right, right. you know, the hand, the eye, the foot, the, uh, he's, he's saying those things are just as valuable as yeah. anyone else in the church. And God has arranged the body as he saw fit, as he so chose. Mm-hmm. And so keep going, keep serving, keep going. And, and you don't know what God's going to do in your life in the, the coming years, months, whatever it may be. Super helpful. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, Genesis chapter 25, 26, uh, real quick there as the, the last two verses, just note there is a portent of things to come as uh, it says when Esau is 40 years old, he takes Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite to be his wife. Why? Uh, because he knows that it's going to make life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. So uh, things are not going to go well, <laughs> all that to yep. say, moving forward. And we'll hit some of that tomorrow. So keep reading your Bible and tune in again as we continue the story. See you then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.